Franchising is the most misunderstood and most overlooked form of entrepreneurship. We're here to educate you and help you find the entrepreneur within. Franchising is not all about the French fries. We find that individuals who are exploring business ownership tend to have a lot of misperceptions and misunderstandings about the franchise industry. So what we want to do is help prospective business owners make confident and educated decisions before moving forward or not moving forward with the business. Welcome to Unpredicted Entrepreneur. Welcome to episode 31 of Unpredicted Entrepreneur. My name is Sarah Wasco. This is my colleague, Roxanne Rapsky, and we are here to provide education and information on topics related to business ownership and all things franchising. And we are thrilled today to invite our guest, Eric Schechterman from Benetrends to share with us a little bit about funding, the funding and uh, franchise business ownership financing world just seems to change all the time. And so we are thrilled to have Eric join us today to give us some updates. Eric has been with Benetrends for 11 years. Benetrends has been in business for 35 years and according to their website, helped over 30,000 entrepreneurs fund their business. So this oh. is very exciting for us to have Eric join us today. Eric, welcome. Please tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Uh, well, thank you, Sarah, and everyone for listening and joining today and having me as a guest. And Roxanne, of course, um, love working with uh, all different types of audiences and helping people learn about the ups, downs, lefts, and rights of financing. Um, and what's even more fascinating about it, it really wasn't even my background. Um, I spent a lot of my career on the, the corporate side, you know, traditional corporate America, working for a company, uh, you know, as a sales rep and a sales manager and never knew what franchising was other than, you know, where I would eat poorly on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> um, didn't know the the size, the volume, and the power, and the amazing stories within franchising, and uh, opened up my eyes a little bit for some new opportunities. Met this uh, company, Benetrends, a little over 11 years ago, went on the interview, uh, went to my first franchise show, and became hooked ever since. And uh, to just see the the lives that get changed, the impact that it can have, the, the various options that are there, um, and then how funding in our world plays a role in that. Um, and it's really been a great run. And uh, you don't have to be an expert to kind of figure this out because something's great about our industry. There's a lot of experts to help you get there. So um, that's kind of my life in the uh, the franchise space. And uh, I love working with all of our you know clients and partners and um, helping people figure out what is available out there because, man, does it change quite frequently. And I feel like the perceptions that the public have don't always match the realities, sometimes in the wrong way, sometimes in the right way. Um, so uh, as you know, I can ramble, so I'll hit the pause button there. <laughs> Well, thank you. That's great to hear your background. And you, like so many of our clients, um, kind of fell into franchising and uh, really 
became um, uh, in a situation where you enjoyed it and were um, enthused by it. There's never a dull moment in the franchising world, I can uh, certainly attest to. So I guess really, let's just dive right into the lending environment. What are you seeing out there in today's lending environment? You know, when people talk about the lending environment, I also think there's always, uh, you know, confusion of well, what is lending? Um, you know, for me, there's ways to either take on funding by taking borrowed funds, um, whether it be through a bank or other forms of collateralizing assets. And then there's self-funding, which and I think everybody sort of lumps it all together as lending. Um, but when you're really talking about borrowing money, the, the thing that's on the tip of everybody's tongues is pretty much the SBA loan program. Um, that has historically been the most popular route for entrepreneurs, small business owners, franchisees, prospective owners to secure funding to purchase a business. Um, and it's fascinating to know how popular that has become, but still with how many people, how many things people don't really connect the dots on. Um, so it's always good to kind of give a little update on that SBA program. And um, number one, the people not even knowing what the SBA is and isn't. So the SBA is obviously a branch of the federal government there to support and promote small business. And they do that through a number of different programs, business coaching, business support, entrepreneur guidance, all these different things. And one of those things is access to capital. And what's done through the SBA loan program is essentially the government is not lending the money to borrowers. They are going to the banks and saying, we want you lending money to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs and franchisees. And in order to lessen your risk of doing that, we, the government, are going to guarantee the funds that you put out there up to a certain percentage. So it's not actually the government lending the money. The government's going to the bank and saying to the bank, we're going to back you on this loan. And now the banks can go out there and lend this money out. The reason I think that's important is I don't know if everyone understands banks or businesses mm -hmm. and businesses choose what type of business they want to run. Some banks like chocolate and some banks like vanilla. They all have their own little silos and just because you walk into a bank and say, I want a loan for this franchise. And that bank says, no, it has nothing to do with that franchise nine times out of 10. They might not be in the franchise space. They might not be in small business lending. They might be in both, but they only focus on certain loan sizes. But they, that's not printed anywhere. It's not listed anywhere. So understanding that these are still banks that are doing these loans, but the SBA program has some really amazing aspects to it. Um, but what's really the most frequent update that people focus on is what how it relates to the interest rate on the SBA loans. So um, obviously I'm probably not the first person that's speaking to the audience or letting them know that interest rates are changing in different markets. Um, it seems to be the only thing I hear about either inflation or interest rates and everything else. And while that's not fully inaccurate, this is where I was sort of talking about the perception and the reality side of things. So in the SBA world, 
in order for the banks to do these loans, the government tells the lenders that they can charge up to a certain interest rate on the loans. And usually that interest rate is capped at prime plus 2.75%. So it's always tied to that prime interest rate. Prime has now gone up to five and a half percent. And most people will be listening and saying, yeah, they just keep going up and up and up. So I guess if you don't mind, I'll have a little fun uh, with Roxanne and Sarah here. Um, Can either of you tell me what prime was in August of 2019, the summer before COVID? No, but I have a feeling it was higher than it is today. And you're going to let us know that, right? <laughs> yeah, I have no let's idea. Just say, let's just say it was pretty much exactly what it is today. Okay. So we, over the last two decades, Prime has mostly been between five to five and a half. And five and a half is where we are at today. The problem is, is that during COVID and also the last time during the housing crisis of 2008 and 2009, the Fed dropped the prime rate to three and a quarter. So, yes, have interest rates gone up from three and a quarter? Yes. <laughs> Are interest rates higher than they've been over the last two decades? No. <laughs> but we're always victims of our most recent history. And so as well, it was three and a quarter a year ago. Somebody getting a loan in the summer of three years ago was getting the same rate that somebody's getting now. And I think I just we think got people, spoiled. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I also always get fascinated of, you know, all of a sudden we forget, <laughs> you know, simple math at times. Um, I think that on, say, a $300,000 loan, the change in interest rate, if you extend that over a 10-year term, which most SBA loans are going to be, and the whole loan amortization and everything else, I think on average it probably comes out to, I don't know, a couple of hundred dollars or less difference in monthly payments on the SBA loan over the length. Um, I'm sure in all of yours experience and in my decade plus, Typically, that's not going to be the game changer of whether somebody thinks it's time to go into business or not, is having their monthly payments on a loan um, change for a couple of hundred dollars or even less. So, um, yes, SBA loans are very accessible. There's greater appetites that are out there. Um, I would say so to answer your very simple question, which, again, I warn you, I do ramble. Um, (laughs) What am I seeing out there? The lending environment is... Outstanding, but improving. (laughs) (laughs) Outstanding, but improving. Is that what you said? (laughs) Yes. Outstanding, but improving. There's a lot of good things that are happening, but there's still a lot of things that either need to still get better or are the the audience, the, the public that's pursuing these need to understand what these are and what these aren't. This isn't set it and forget it, send in a one page application and boom, you're approved. Um, it's not every bank does every loan for every business and at certain loan sizes, they're going to want to take collateral or certain things like that. So they're not always the easiest, greatest things in the world. The SBA program for the right buyer that has the right assets is a great program that someone can utilize. Um, but when you start looking at some of those interest rates and some of the collateral, 
and the fact that some businesses may not match all the appetites of the lenders, um, it's not outside of the realm for people to look in different areas these days than SBA. And that's when you say the update. It's such a cyclical world. If you go back and pull any you know, speech or conversation I've given three, four years ago, it was get SBA for your first, get SBA for your second, and then go from there. And right now, I've almost seen more of let me go get my business open without taking on the SBA debt. And then when I'm ready to go and open two, three, four and beyond, that's when I'm going back to the lenders because now the appetites are even greater because I'm an existing business that's showing a track record. And there's probably easier ways or lower interest ways to get funding, depending on someone's assets. But um, yeah, SBA is great. I just think people not understanding that it has its spot and place and it's different for every business, every loan size and every category. So, Eric, on that note, I want to um, dig in a little bit on what you're saying about the banks and their appetites, because I think that's one of the benefits to using an organization like Benetrends is that this is what you all do all day long, every day. You work with a lot of banks. So if I come into you and I want to open a nail salon, you know which lenders have appetites for nail salons, right? Or if I come in, like you said, and I want $150,000, you know which banks like those low or have an appetite for those lower loan amounts. So we always tell our clients, you know, sometimes it's difficult when you're going into your own local bank because A, they might do SBA loans, but not for startups, only working capital. A lot of the times, a lot of them do, local ones do do startups, but this whole appetite thing and, and having a whole menu of lenders to choose from, I think is one of the places that you guys excel. Yeah, it's it's a it's a the silos that I was mentioning before that these lenders go into, it's it's kind of what's made uh us even have a, a purpose in the SBA world. But mm -hmm. fortunately for us, there's a big need for it because you know when you think about lending, people most of their experience has been in buying a house. A house is a house. There's big ones, small ones, condos, single family home, townhouses. At the end of the day, it's still a residence. Someone's going to live there. All these businesses are different. Yeah. And that's really where the appetites change. And keep in mind, SBA loans go up to as much as $5 million and go as little as $50,000 in most cases. I promise you, the banks that do the $5 million loan, <laughs> it's not going to be the same bank that does the $50,000 Right. Yeah. Um, the bank that helped fund the McDonald's is not going to help fund the business coaching individual that's driving around and helping small businesses. But they are all out there. My, the most fascinating part, Roxanne, is if I were to give you the names of the top 20 lenders in the core franchise world of SBA lending. And when I say core part of franchising, um, as I know the two of you know, but even in small business, we're getting even just franchising. Most small businesses more operate in that three, four hundred thousand dollar and under investment range. Right. There's they're small, there's big, but that's that's the healthy chunk. If I were to list you the top 20 lenders that probably put money out there in that space, you would think 15 of the bank's names I made up. 
Wow. It's yeah. not the I'm driving up and down the street. Let me stop it and get my loan at you know XYZ Bank or this bank that you know we see having their names on stadiums and on the commercials. And these are you know pretend banks. I mean, these are <laughs> banks doing multi-million dollars a year in SBA funding, but there's just so many of them out there. So yes, I always say uh we're the uh we're the matchmaker. You know, we're the match.com of the banking industry, for, for lack of better words. And, uh, you know, Wait, that's you what we say with, about the franchise industry, where they were the match.com of the franchise. So that and I similar. use that example all the time. So I say, oh, you're working with Sarah. That's fantastic. She's helping you find the business that's the right fit for you and your family. And then I'm helping find the bank that wants to fund that opportunity. So we talked a lot about SBA lending and how it may or may not be the right fit for certain individuals. So if somebody decides against SBA or maybe is struggling to get a loan through the SBA, what are some other options out there for funding a business? Yeah, you know, hopefully uh, the team at Benetrends is not listening here, being that, uh, <laughs> you know, SBA is a big part of our business and we even just acquired another group that helps us do this. But um, it's not uncommon for me to even say to people, um, you don't even need us. You could go, you have other options than SBA and that just might be better for you. Forgetting if it's not qualified or it's not an option, they just might be better routes. And to me, funding is as much of an emotional decision as anything else. Um, so what's right for one person might not be right for the other. I think too many people get hung up on what's the right way versus let's figure out what the wrong way is and avoid that. Because the right way might be two or three different strategies and you just might go with the one that feels the best at the time. But you know, in an SBA loan, on certain loan sizes, Banks might require personal collateral, and usually that's going to be the primary residence. And well, if that, the banks that doesn't work in Texas because we are a homestead state, exactly. And, 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 and keep that in mind in Texas. Um, <laughs> we were talking about appetites, that also doesn't mean the bank has to do the loan without collateral, which I'm sure you've all seen. So, all those things come into play where even if they could take it as collateral, well, with prime at five and a half. And being able to go up to 2.75 on an SBA loan. I say to people all the time, how do you want to collateralize your house at eight and a quarter percent or under five percent? And usually people will say under five. And I'll say, okay, so you want a HELOC, a home equity line of credit, not an SBA loan. Because again, if you take the names of the programs away, at the end of the day, you're taking borrowed funds, leveraging your home as collateral. So I've seen people go that route versus SBA. Um, people don't always consider their stock portfolio as an option for funding other than liquidating those investments, which most people don't want to do because they don't want to walk away from what they've invested those funds in and they don't want to pay capital gains tax on any gains that they have. A lot of people don't realize you can use a stock portfolio just like you would use a home for a home equity line of credit you can use it for a line of credit, but instead of pledging the home, you're using your stock portfolio as collateral. So you're not selling your investments. They stay where they are. They're still being managed. They're still hopefully you know, earning a good return. And you can borrow against them at a very low interest rate for a line of credit. So I've seen people utilize that option as well. 
Um, and then I just think so much of this world, especially here in the United States, as retirement plans have been such a big part of our economy since their creation. And people have so many tremendous assets there that people don't realize the power behind their retirement plans when it comes to pursuing their own small business, either from how they can eventually avoid taxes down the road when they go to sell the business or how to use those funds up front without having to pay any tax or penalty to fund a business. Those are some strategies as well that we, you know, I'd be more than happy to kind of share more detail on. Yes, please do. Tell us about this crazy idea of using retirement funds to fund a business. Well, I appreciate your description there because it, to tell you the true story, I guess it was March of 2011 when I was pulling up for my interview at Benetrends, who, oddly enough, Glenn Fisher, the founder of Benetrends, is the original architect of that retirement plan funding strategy. Um, and when I pulled into the parking lot, I was literally looking for like a SWAT team on the roof. I thought I was showing up for a sting operation. I'm like, this can't be real. I hear that and a lot. I, you know, it's been around a long time and people still look at us like we're crazy. Like this can't be real. Or there's a catch. Or there's a catch. Right. And what's fascinating is not only remembering that day, but remembering that moment, because not only did I find out that it was real and not a sting operation and that there was no catch, was that I had the opportunity to meet with Len. And while I know all the details, ins, outs, left and rights about tax code and tax law and why this works and all these different things, to, to this day, the way Len explained it to me, is still the way I explain it to anybody today. And I remember I'm sitting there across the table from Len and he's interviewing me and we're going over stuff. And he said, okay, so you worked in corporate America. I worked for a company named Cintas Corporation. For anyone listening, that's wearing a, a work uniform and they say Cintas on it. Uh, you know, very glamorous products, shirt, pants, mats, mops, and toilet paper. But um, <laughs> so I had worked at Cintas for about, uh, about 10 years and Len said, okay, Eric, so you have your 401k at Cintas, right? I said, yeah. So let's, for argument's sake, say you have $200,000 in your 401k. I said, okay, I'll go with that. And he said, so if you leave Cintas today and you come to work for Benetrans or you go to work for Johnson & Johnson or some other company, Obviously, when you leave your employer, you can do a couple of things with your retirement plans, right? You can roll it over to an IRA of my own that I have set up or at my new job, provided they have a company retirement plan, I could roll it into their plan. And as hopefully all the listeners and everyone today and I learned, obviously, when you do that, you never pay any taxes or penalties to move those funds from one plan to another. So I'm sitting there just nodding along with Len and I'm like, okay, great. Groundbreaking stuff here. You haven't taught me anything I didn't know. <laughs> so then he says, all right, Eric, now that you get that part, while you're at CentOS, when you log into your employer's plan, I assume you had different types of investment options within your company plan. You could buy stocks, bonds, mutual funds. And again, I'm just nodding along thinking, I asked this guy, how does rollover funding work? And he's telling me about stuff I already know. Like, yes, I have a 401k where I can buy stocks and stuff. 
And then he starts asking me a couple more questions where my brain starts to switch a little. And he said, okay, Eric, did you have the option to buy stock in Centos through your retirement plan there? And I said, yeah, actually it was one of the things that a lot of employees did. And, you know, we were all excited for them. I probably had half of my retirement funds in there. So let's say I put $100,000 in Centos stock through my retirement plan. And he says, okay, Eric, is it fair to say that your retirement plan now owns those shares of stock? And once again, I'm this cocky 30-year-old kid, you know, uh, sales guy that's like, wow, Len, of course I realized that. Yes, I now own however many shares I bought for that $100,000 that I invested my retirement funds in through the company. And he said, all right, wise guy. <laughs> um where did the money go that your retirement plan used to buy those shares? And I think I looked at him with a blank stare for about 45 seconds. And I said, wait a minute, that was real money? And he said, yes, that was real money. You don't get to keep both. Your plan got the shares. Who did you buy the shares from? Centos. Who got that money? Centos's corporate checking account. I didn't lend it to them. I didn't pull it out as a distribution. They didn't borrow it from me for sure. I got the shares, they got the cash. And that money is in their account to use in their business and day-to-day -day operations, however they seem fit. And then that's when I started to see the method to, I don't know if I would wanna say madness or brilliance. And he said, Eric, people always say that, you know, Benetrends and Len invented rollover funding. And he says, actually, it's not accurate. I can thank the ERISA tax laws of the early 1970s. I was just the first to realize you don't have to be Apple, Johnson & Johnson, Cintas to do this. It just comes down to corporate structure and retirement plan design. So in reality, Roxanne and Sarah, all rollover funding really is, is rather than funding somebody else's business through retirement funds, which we're all doing when we're investing in those employers, we're funding our own. So you're really just creating a new company for your business that's operating your small business, your franchise, whatever it may be. And then you're gonna have a retirement plan as part of that company corporation and organization. So you have your new company that has its own company retirement plan. Well, of course, as the owner and operator, you're going to be an employee of that company. So just like going from one employer to another, I can take retirement funds that are from previous employers, IRAs, things that are eligible to be moved, and I can roll those funds into my new company's plan that I'm participating in. And just like all those other rollovers, there's no taxes or penalties to move those funds. And once those funds are in that plan, that plan is set up and designed to allow different types of investment options. It can purchase stocks, bonds, mutual funds through like a Fidelity, Schwab, whoever, just like when we're in regular corporate world. But of course, what's one of the other investment options going to be? To buy stock in the company itself. So I can take that money and say, I'm going to roll over $100,000 from an IRA into my new company's plan, chooses my plan's investment to then buy $100,000 of shares of stock of my corporation. And through that transaction, my plan owns the shares of the company. 
and the money my plan used to buy those shares goes directly to the company's corporate checking account. It's not a loan. It's not an early withdrawal. There's no debt service on this money. That money is now pure pre-tax liquid for that company and business to use for any legitimate business expense, including salaries, franchise fees, working capital, et cetera. And that in a nutshell is how this crazy idea of rollover funding that if that's crazy, then anyone that has money in their current employer <laughs> through their retirement plan is doing crazy funding already. But instead of funding their business, you're just doing it yourself. So that really is how this world of rollover retirement funding works. So, Eric, I'm never explaining this program again. I'm just going to send this link out and you can do it for me. <laughs> that was a great explanation. It really was. I never really heard it described that way. Well, so. and that leads into, I know you deal with this just as well as I. Um, a lot of times when we our, our clients might have a first or second call with you guys, they'll go back to their financial advisor or their CPA who says, what, you're crazy, kind of like how this that question all started, right? And then we're, we're usually getting them on a three-way call with, you know, uh, or four-way call, all of us on the phone so that you can go through that and explain it to them. But um, you're willing, your, your team there at Benetrans is willing to do that with the CPA or the financial advisor, correct? Yes. So just as you mentioned before, um, while this has been around for pretty much four decades and the amount of thousands of times that we've done it and just overall in the entire industry, it's still something that isn't commonly yeah. known or the tips of everybody's tongues. Um, so you do run into that with some of the advisors around each other, CPAs, financial advisors, like you mentioned. A uh, couple things there. Number one, I would tell you in my 11 years, if a hundred CPAs say, don't know about this or shouldn't do it or don't like it, I'm pretty much batting about 99 for 100 of getting them to not only understand it and support it, but almost eventually become great referral partners for us. Yeah. Accountants love the idea of not paying any unnecessary taxes. <laughs> I mean, in fact, we do a, uh, a CPE course every quarter for the CPA Online Academy where accountants can go on and learn about Rob's funding and get continuing education credits. So that part is kind of the fun and easy one. I'm batting about one for a million with financial advisors. <laughs> yeah. And that's a little bit off. And that's not to say that anyone would be making advice for their clients that wasn't directly what's best for the client. But, you know, keep in mind what if you put the subtitles under it's I go to my financial advisor and say, you know, that half million dollars that you're investing and managing and making a commission on. I want to take that out of what you're managing and put it in my own business. But if we really are working with people that have their best interest at heart, there's not a financial advisor that's ever shied away from this. Because as I mentioned, man, does this even create some exciting exit strategies? You yeah. know, when people find out that they can use a retirement plan designed to minimize, if not eliminate capital gains tax down the road, or they can set up health savings accounts within their corporation and have their health care covered and 100% of health care premiums deductible through the business. Um, so, yes, we are not only happy to have those calls, they're, they're kind of fun because we know 
with a few basic points. There's nothing better than getting somebody from a detractor to a supporter because then the candidate's like, well, hey, if they're saying it's okay, then we're good to go. And um, when people look at this and they really understand all you're doing is creating pre-tax liquid, it's kind of hard to argue with them. Yeah, and a lot of people like that idea versus having the debt service. So it's really good to know that that option is out there. Eric, thank you so much for all of your uh, details and insight today on different options for funding a business. We greatly appreciate your time. Again, um, our guest today was or is Eric Schechterman with Benetrends Financial. Um, Eric, if they want to reach you, what's the best way to contact you? Well, even though you nailed the pronunciation of my last name, which is pretty uh, not easy to do. Um, so I do appreciate that. Fortunately, the great people at Benetrends um, aren't going to make anybody uh, type that whole name out. So I do have Eric at Benetrends.com. That's E-R-I-C um, at Benetrends.com. Of course, you could always visit uh, our website at www.Benetrends.com. Um, and of course, working with Roxanne or Sarah, they're always happy to connect you with myself or any one of our team members uh, at Benetrends. And um, nobody has to know exactly what they want to do or how they want to do it. We love engaging just in general conversation with people on all things funding and small business. There's no cost to speak to our client, uh, to our team about all those different options. So, um, yeah, reach out, text, email, phone call. Uh, we're happy to do it any way possible. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate you joining us today and enlightening us and our listeners. For those of you out there listening, thank you for joining us today. Please follow Sarah and I or find us and connect with us on LinkedIn. I'm Roxanne Rapsky, R-A-P-S-K-E. Sarah with no H, Wasco, W-A-S-K-O-W. You can also find us on FranNet.com and on our YouTube channel, FranNet of Dallas, Fort Worth, and Oklahoma. And lastly, you can find Unpredicted Entrepreneur on your favorite podcast platform. Bye. Bye-bye.